Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode number 66 of Real Blend, a podcast that worships at the altar of Joe and Anthony Russo. My name is Sean O'Connell. His name is Kevin McCarthy, and we are doing things a little bit differently this week because Jake Hamilton is missing on assignment in South Beach, polishing all of uh, Pitbull's platinum albums. Yeah, that was was a really cool uh, job that he was able to take with Pitbull. That's great. Um, yeah. So Jake, Jake was such a fan of Aquaman that uh, that Pitbull reached out to him and Jake is spending a week literally polishing Pitbull's records. No, but on a serious note, Jake is actually in Napa Valley for a Netflix junket for a film called Wine Country. So and I'm actually going to meet Jake in New York on Friday for John Wick 3. Uh, which yes. I'm very excited about. Um, any opportunity to sit across from Keanu Reeves and just nerd out about the Matrix or anything, uh, specifically him riding horses during action scenes. I'm very excited about that. Uh, specifically. So you haven't seen this yet. You haven't seen the the new John no, Wick. I have not seen it yet. No. All right. Good. Well, you got to let me know how it is as soon as you, you catch up. You, with it. Have you heard anything about it yet? Nothing yet. I'm not even sure if it's screened. So yeah, you guys I, might I, be I, the first people to see it. I wonder if. I hope it. I mean, I know we had a discussion on our podcast or on our chat this week about the better movie in the franchise. Oh yeah, um, right. But you know, I, I'm. A, I, I think two is a better film, but I understand the argument about one. But uh, I'm very. Three looks amazing. I'm so excited. I think I think the Halle Berry addition's uh, great. I love the scene in the trailer when the dogs are fighting with them, which is like this epic full circle, which is cool. Yep. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you guys will. So it's just Kevin and I this week. Um, you know that we ran a poll on social media asking whether Gabe should chime in and Gabe uh, chiming in overwhelmingly uh, won that poll. Like it wasn't even close to the other options that we posted and he still refuses to speak on the podcast. So I want everyone listening to start taking offense to this. Um, he's, he's just refusing to join us on the show. So Kevin and I will shoulder the load because this well, is... Avengers Endgame week. Well, it's Endgame week is what I wanted to say. I want to make an executive decision here, and I, and I hope Gabe can agree to do this. I don't, I don't mean sure. to put them on the spot, but at least when we get into the Endgame review, since Gabe has seen it and Jake is not here to talk about it, Gabe, would right. you mind just chiming in with a couple sentences about what you thought about the movie? He doesn't have he's an audio. Not, okay. I don't think he's well, can you? Can but we will, oh, let's let's say this. Text Sean. Text Sean a couple sentences yeah. of your thoughts. Yeah. Because that's the fair. public wants to know Gabe's opinion. And For sure. we, need, we need, we need, I want to know Gabe's opinion, even though, uh, I could easily just text you myself, but I want to know it on this format. So <laughs> Gabe, um, do we have Jake's us. audio? Did Jake send audio of his take on it? His, his Jake's take? His, his Jake's take. Yeah. Yes. Kind <laughs> of. Uh, and we're not going to be able to listen to it here in the show. Like you're just going to include it later. That's correct. All right. Then we'll we'll sort of weigh in. Well, I, we'll let Jake sort of weigh in later. Anyway, it's Avengers Endgame week. We will start off with reviews as we normally do. We're going to get to uh, some news. And then Kevin and I are going to talk at length about Avengers Endgame. I've seen it once. Kevin's been lucky enough to see it twice. We will not reveal any spoilers on this episode. This is the non-spoiler version of our take on Joe and Anthony Russo's latest uh, Marvel movie, so you guys can listen to it clean uh, any day that you, that you happen to catch this podcast before you see the movie. We will reserve um, our deep dive into the movie for next week um, with potentially some fun surprises. So I'll leave it there for right now. Uh, but until we get to that, a review from Kyle David Perry, who met us at the Chicago meetup. He's Great. awesome, by the way. 
truly cool dude. Just and he a, was just a really, a really he, good person to talk to. He was excited about Jake's um, comments about his his uh, style, which I, I know uh, it meant a lot to him that Jake commented on his style. So shout out to Kyle, who is super nice. Uh, and invited and us to his theatrical show that he was directing and we couldn't make it to that. And instead he came to the meetup, which was incredible. That's, that's awesome. All right. Well, so he says uh, the subject of his review is real friends. He says, attention movie lovers, listen up. About a year and a half ago, I was lost in a sea of podcasts and YouTube channels. Then I found a little podcast with only three episodes that delivered all the insight, nerdiness, and passion that I had been missing. Real Blend's three hosts are unapologetically themselves 100% of the time. You can tell that they are all really friends, mostly by the way that they argue with each other. He's probably talking about me getting red like the Hulk while arguing Kill Bill at the I, Chicago beat-up. There was a moment where I actually thought you were going to have a heart attack. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not joking, but you were so right. red that I was actually yes. getting worried. And I'm not kidding. I was like, I was yeah. like dude, we got to calm down here, man. I, don't want, I, I can't have you getting, that having a medical Irish emergency. Thing. No, yeah. that's an Irish thing. Irish have um, very short tempers and I'm Irish. heart conditions. Oh yeah, you're pretty laid back for an Irish person. <laughs> I mean, I'm wearing I'm, I'm wearing actually an Irish hat right now, which is it's awesome. pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to meet them, and I promise that all of the genuine love they share as friends, as well as all of the arguing, is completely real. Between the guys that make the show and the lovely community on Twitter, I feel like I have so many friends who finally understand how I think. Read this as a Kevin McCarthy pun. Hey, hosts, do you know what Kyle David Perry's favorite podcast is? <laughs> it's Real Blend, he says. Oh, I, uh, I Dunkirk, like in all caps, with a lot of exclamation points. Kyle, thank you so much for the review for the show. We cannot, uh, we cannot thank you enough. Really good dude. So give him a follow on Twitter if you guys get a chance. Uh, let's dive into news, and then we'll get to... Oh, we're going to slip in some Game of Thrones reactions, too, because... There's a weird parallel. Kevin, you see this like with Endgame coming this week and then this battle at Winterfell that we anticipate coming with Game of Thrones. It's going to be a devastating weekend for a lot of fan bases. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, the timing of this is so weird. And I kind of compare it to like when we were growing up, like you would get these random similar films coming out at one time, right? So you had Deep Impact, Armageddon, then there was mm. The Illusionist and The Prestige. Uh, I know this is a TV show and a movie, but the idea of this next episode of Game of Thrones being a battle-heavy episode that was clearly set up emotionally in the second episode and, and, and entirely in Winterfell, um, we're probably going to lose some people in that in episode three, which I'm assuming. And the fact that that movie or that show is airing the same weekend as Avengers Endgame, which we're not confirming anything about anybody being lost in that film, but just the idea that it is the end game um, is, 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 you know, there is a definitely an interesting coincidence there for sure. Well, let's get right into Game of Thrones. And let's just, I know this is a movie podcast, but obviously, uh, as you say, there's closure happening uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's a culmination. uh, That's not spoiling anything about Endgame. They've been saying this is the last chapter. In this yeah. book. And then it, it, Game of Thrones is also saying goodbye. It's funny, the X-Men franchise is kind of saying goodbye also from the from the way that we know it. But obviously, when you talk about um, Sansa, like she's clear. Sophie Turner is clearly Sansa Stark more than she is Jean Grey. Uh, this last episode of Game of Thrones, and, and I, I guess we could even say this about the way that Endgame, like Endgame is a three-hour movie. Um, but it gives you the right amount of uh, buildup. And it's been built up over the course of like 21 movies up until this point. And the most recent episode of Game of Thrones was a lot of closure um, and set up for people to potentially die 
uh, in this next episode. Now, I don't know who dies at the end of Game of Thrones or in the next episode of Game of Thrones, but I really feel like there's 10 people from the last episode that got their farewell or got something significant that happened to them that if they were to die in the next episode, I would understand why it happened. Like Brienne getting crowned as a knight. Yeah. Um, Jamie bringing himself back to Winterfell, where this whole story essentially started. Um, the Hound getting some closure with Arya. Like all these characters got a, a moment where I was like, yeah, that that could be it. I want a two hour movie of just Tormund's reaction to seeing Brienne. <laughs> I would watch in full blown IMAX, just his yeah. eyes, his how big his eyes get when he when he thinks about Brienne. I love that character so much. I'm so happy that he's survived as long as he has. But episode two was, you know, not no battles at all. It was a, a lot of tension, a lot of emotion. I thought it was a really great episode. I, I didn't love episode one of season eight. Um, but I, I think there was two moments in episode two that were obviously heavily interrupted by something else in the scene. Uh, the mm. Sansa Daenerys uh, interaction, which was very, very good, um, but no, not concluded. Uh, and then mm. obviously John and Daenerys and their interaction after the reveal of what John learns, uh, which, you know, that was, again, interrupted by a battle horn. Right. And then they go outside and the episode ends as we learn that the that the uh, the Night Walkers uh White Walkers, the Night King and the White Walkers are on their way. They're essentially at Winterfell, right? The episode ends with them at Winterfell. Yeah, like they show the Tyrion yeah, looking yeah. out uh, out over the wall and seeing the, the army arrive. So uh, right. the next few episodes are all almost like feature length movie. Like they're about 80 minutes, 80 some odd minutes. So yeah. kind of like the size of an independent film. Uh, not quite the three hours that Endgame is, but um, significant. And I think like you might lose a lot of people that are on the level of a uh, Brienne or Tormund or someone like that, but but some of the heavy hitters, I wonder if we're going to lose one of them. I wonder if it's going to be Tyrion. I wonder if it could be a Jon or Danny. Like I don't think, but Game of Thrones is one of those shows where you know one of those those characters, no one's safe, right? Like yeah. they, they always tend to sort of surprise you with that. And we and the good thing about Game of Thrones, like you said, like we don't know. I mean that that's yeah. the thing. That's, that's the beauty of Game of Thrones. And luckily. Prior to Endgame, Sean, Jake, and Gabe and I had not read any spoilers, luckily. Um, nope. And we know there are people out there who are actively spoiling films over and over again. Because um, I think it came out in China and London now, and people are talking about it. So um, we, I, I want to advise people to stay offline. I mean, with Game of Thrones, it's almost hard to, because the moment the episode ends, everyone's talking about it freely on their social media accounts. Right. Uh, I still right. kind of, I try to... And on my end, just not spoil whatever just happened in that episode, because I think it's just not right to do. I mean, like I, I people react during it and I get that. Um, but with Avengers Endgame, like, can you imagine someone walking out of that film and just spoiling everything like people do with Game of Thrones? I, mean, I, I, I don't game uh, Endgame is a movie that needs to be experienced completely on its own without you knowing anything going in. That's part of the ride. Uh, and we are going to review the film today completely spoiler-free, as if we would on TV on Friday morning for a normal yep. movie review. So, you know, anybody listening, no need to turn it off. We're not going to get into any details, just, just our reactions. I can't tell you how hard it was to stay off social um, once I knew the premiere happened. And that part of it is because I actually enjoy... Um, tracking all of that as it happens. Like, I yeah. like when the first screenings happen. I like reading certain people on Twitter to find out what they thought. I like getting the sense that, like, the, a big picture of doing this job is knowing how a movie is going to be received and how it's playing in a crowd. And with any other film, 
I would have been following along with every step of the premiere. But the minute that I knew that this started, I couldn't read. I, I just stayed off social. And dude, I so desperately wanted to know you, uh, Eric Eisenberg from our site, who does Hero Blend. Uh, just, I just wanted to know what you guys thought of it, like instantly on Monday. And so all Tuesday, um, while I was waiting for our screening to start, I just had to stay, you know, as far away from it as possible. And it's like it speaks to how social media is such a dominant force nowadays. And like, if I need just a distraction from a story that I'm writing or anything, I just open a tab and I just open Twitter and I just start scrolling it. Like just as a mindless, you know, distraction sort of thing. And I couldn't on those two days. And it was a good reminder how paralyzing (laughs) social media can be as as I, as I scan it. And and it's funny because in our chat uh, initially, and I think we all agreed that before I was going to the premiere, I didn't know I was going to the premiere until uh, Friday before the premiere, um, which was obviously a very crazy, you know, when I get you get that invite, you got to go. And I think uh, we had all agreed in our chat that we were going to not open our social media accounts at all Monday or Tuesday until we had all gotten out of the film. So when I had gotten the invite to the premiere, of course, Jake and Gabe and Sean all said, we're muting, you're muting our conversation. Don't, don't even react. Don't say anything. Um, which was hard for me because I want to, I wanted to like talk to you guys about it, but I also wanted to respect the idea of you going into a movie, not knowing what anybody had thought of it yet. Um, and so we did that. I didn't, I don't think I talked to you guys at all from the moment nope. the premiere red carpet began and then till Sean, you called me and when you got out of the movie uh, yeah. with your son in the car uh, <laughs> and said it was the greatest movie you'd ever seen. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, that was a that was a it was a cool it was a fun phone call because we were able to, like, dive into it really each of us for the first time talking about it together. All right. Well, we will get to those reactions a little bit later in the show. There's two news items I want to get to. And one is a big one um, for you. I know for sure. Uh, the Academy Board of governors met today. Uh, yes. that we're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, what day is today? Tuesday? Yeah. Today's Wednesday. Um, uh, oh, yeah, today's Wednesday. doesn't matter, you guys. Um, and they voted. that. Well, they essentially did not change uh, their eligibility rules the way that um, several people in the industry, most notably Steven Spielberg, was trying to spearhead a change so that films made for Netflix or, or made for any streaming service would not be eligible um, for the Academy Awards. That was strange this year with a movie like Roma, uh, which fits the bill of, of what we consider to be a th- theatrical film. Obviously, Alfonso Cuaron pushing so hard to get a, a theatrical distribution as hard as he could for it. Um, and we know that the the, the big one coming uh, next year is, or later this year, Scorsese's film, uh, which is made for Netflix, The Irishman, uh, has a stellar cast. We assume that if it's as good as we hope it to be, it's going to be in the Oscar consideration. And anyway, so the, the Academy Board did not change their eligibility rules. So as long as a movie plays for seven days in a theater, it will be eligible to compete in the Oscars. And I think that's the right move right yeah. now. Too often, the Academy sort of snap judgment decisions, you know, and and rushes ahead with something, but they bought themselves another year to at least have this conversation and well, see where things are going. What fascinated me about this whole discussion is, I mean, if people have been listening to their podcast since the beginning, everyone knows that I'm very much a huge advocate of the theatrical experience. I think we all are. Um, yeah. But I also understand change. And I also understand that there is a way that we can live in a world where both can be possible. Um, I remember reading something, uh, I don't want to paraphrase Nolan, but I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of how when when movies are shot on film, 35 mil, 16 mil, 70 mil, uh, actual celluloid. But I do understand that that digital exists and that it does work for certain types of storytelling. 
Some filmmakers are so good that they can make digital look like film, like Sicario with um, Denis and uh, Deacons. But, you know, Nolan or somebody said something along the lines of, I'm not saying digital has to go away. It's just, it's just I just prefer film. So, um, but I understand that both can live in the same world. I, I don't know if I'm quoting him or somebody else, but it was a big filmmaker who came to that realization that we can live in a world with both, which I completely agree with. Now, with Netflix, if Netflix wasn't releasing their films in theaters, then yes, I would say you're, you cannot be eligible for an Academy Award. But I did a story on the air today about this decision and their decision to say that, yes, if a film opens up in Los Angeles County for seven days, as you said, I think it plays three times a day, I think is the, the rule specifically, um, they will consider it for Academy Awards. And my anchor goes, but what about, well, I just putting it into one city or something like that. And I'm like, well, it happens all the time with major films. Like they'll release yeah. a movie like on Christmas Day just to get an Oscar consideration in like two theaters in New York and LA. And then yep. it'll go wider sometime in January. I think American Sniper did, did something like that. Or the Phantom Post. Thread. Phantom yeah. Thread did. The Post yeah. did. Yeah, these are Paul Thomas Anderson, Steven yeah. Spielberg, Clint Eastwood. They've been yeah. doing this for years. Yeah, major, major films have come out and played for a, a, the week in that time period that it needed to play. And then it opened up wider to another point. So, you know, if Netflix is going to release, I mean, films like Roma are coming out three weeks prior to the streaming date. So that they're already, to me, in my opinion, Netflix is going above and beyond what they need to do. Uh, you know, they could be releasing things on day of streaming, but if you're going to release it the day, a couple weeks before, even if you release a day of streaming, as long as you give the audience a theatrical window to go to a theater, that's all I care about. Uh, also the hypocrisy, no of the, of the hypocrisy of the Academy. I totally understand the, the need to fight for the, for the theatrical experience. Um, and, and there are certain movies where above and beyond you have to fight for it. But you can't tell me that the majority of the people who voted for the Oscars this year did not watch movies like Vice or Green Book on screeners that were yep. sent to them in their homes. 100%. 100%. There's no way they went out to the movies to see. Yeah. Now, maybe they saw Black Panther. Maybe they saw Star is Born. Maybe even Bohemian Rhapsody. But I bet you movies like The Favorite, you know, or, any, or some other ones that, that contended for Best Picture this year were seen on yeah. home theaters and they were eligible for Oscars. And we all love Spielberg. I just think that uh, in this particular situation, I, I and I don't want to misquote him because I think he did come out today with a quote about this, I believe. He did. I'll have to look yeah. it up, what he said. Um, but I, listen, I, I respect Mr. Spielberg's passion for the theatrical experience. I completely respect it. I actually love that he's so passionate about it. Yeah. But there, there's got to be a balance. As long as you're giving your movies a theatrical run, I think you're eligible. That's just, that's just, I I think it's the best of both worlds because filmmakers are being able to make things for Netflix that wouldn't get theatrical releases normally. And more people are being creative and creating more and more art on Netflix, which is a great and very easy look at triple frontier. I saw numbers the other day on that. I don't, I think it was the first four weeks, 52 million homes streamed that film or something like that, which was, you know, that's a, that movie probably wouldn't have made that much money in theaters. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that and like a film like that getting made on that production scale. I mean, luckily we had the opportunity to see it in theater and every, and a lot of people did. That movie was released in theaters um, a, around the country in certain markets. So uh, you have the opportunity to go to a theater and see your movie. Um, but then you have people who live miles and, and hours away from theaters like Yalitza from uh, from Roma, who told us at the Q&A that she had her family lives three hours away from a movie theater. That that's why we we have Netflix, so you can watch yeah. that film in your home. Well, and it's interesting. Netflix, I think, was did they just purchase a theater? 
Didn't they just purchase the theater in oh, LA? Was it, was it the, um, they purchased the, was it a chain of the, it was the Egyptian theater? I think it might've been. Uh, okay. And then that makes it really easy for them to program their films for a week or two if they want to, right? Exactly. Like, this yeah. is the next big step for that media giant. I have Spielberg's statement. I want to read it to you. It doesn't say anything surprising. It says exactly what you would assume Spielberg would say in this situation. He says, quote, I want people to find their entertainment in any form or fashion that suits them. Big screen, small screen. What really matters to me is a great story and everyone should have access to great stories. However, I feel people need to have the opportunity to leave the safe and familiar of their lives and go to a place where they can sit in the company of others and have a shared experience. Cry together, laugh together, be afraid together so that when it's over, they might feel a little less like strangers. I want to see the survival of movie theaters. I want the theatrical experience to remain relevant in our culture. Perfect. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's I mean, it. I respect it. I respect the passion. I will always go to a theater. That's my choice. And I have that huh? choice with yeah. Netflix. And you're not alone. Yeah. Imagine seeing Endgame on Netflix. No. I mean, Endgame is... <laughs> and I've watched Infinity War a bunch of times on Netflix, and it's been great, but it's also after I experienced it in the theater three or four times. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Endgame... Oh, man. Endgame in a theater of crowded audiences is unreal. I can't... I'm going for a third time next week, and the movie's three hours long. I mean... It, I can't... It, it, there's something yeah, about the theatrical experience. This is an event movie. It's crazy. I'm so excited for people to see it this weekend. Um, yeah. Before we get to that, I want to talk really feel about Kevin Feige mentioning that um, this phase three of movies doesn't necessarily end with Endgame, that it ends with Spider-Man Far From Home. And mm. I'm just... I'm deeply confused by that, and I'm not going to say anything about Endgame at all. Um... But it, uh, it seems strange to end it with what should what looks to be just a little standalone comedy uh, centered on one character from the universe as closure for for this phase when Endgame is really just it's 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 a final chapter. Do you think that Feige is saying that is misdirect though? Yeah, I, I do think so because a it's a Sony movie, so I don't think he's. As Why would you invested? end Phase Four on or Phase Three at a different studio? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That doesn't... I think it's misdirect. I, I, I and again, that's not, that's not. Uh, you know, this story before any of us even saw Endgame felt weird to me. Like, like regardless of knowing what we know about Endgame, this story did not feel right. Like Endgame feels like it should be the end of like this. The title, the scope, what it, what we've led to, feels right. like it should be the end of Phase Three. And that yes. doesn't that doesn't imply anything about anything in the movie it just feels like the culmination that's what i mean hasn't that been all the marketing what, what's the line in, in the movie like you know part of the part of the journey is the end is right? the end that's yes. a gigantic yep. massive theme of this movie um so it i think i think it's misdirect personally but that's just me now i'll just say that the phases tended not to end on on avengers movies huh the first phase ends on the first um avengers film Okay, that the makes sense. The second phase ends on, hold on, where did you go? Uh, on Ant-Man. So there's Age of Ultron, and then they end with a quote-unquote palate cleanser of a comedy where they huh. do a smaller character. So that That's was after Age of Ultron. And then phase three, theoretically, uh, is going to end on Far From Home, which would be coming after Avengers Endgame. So there's precedent to the fact that maybe they just don't want to end on an Avengers movie. I th in, in a way, it keeps people excited about what's coming next in the Marvel Cinematic exactly. Universe. Not that I think Marvel needs to do, to do that. I think uh, everyone's pretty much on board. So let's get right to it. 
uh, This Week in Movies. Gabe, this is adorable. Gabe put down for This Week in Movies, there's two movies opening. Uh, the first one is called The White Crow. Do you even know what that is? No. <laughs> Did you make that up? No, that actually <laughs> is. I, when, I, when I went on Fandango today to look at This Week's <laughs> movies, it's, it's, yeah. it's Avengers Endgame and then that random yeah. film. <laughs> but Gabe's this poor filmmaker. Yeah. Can you imagine being that guy? You spent three, two to three years working on your indie film and they place you opposite Endgame. But look what's happening right now. We're talking about it. Yeah, it's true. It's the white of, crow. It's kind Go of funny it. because anybody who goes to Fandango this weekend to look at the new releases, <laughs> that poster is right next to Endgame. It might actually be the most brilliant decision of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Think I, about it. I mean, it's pretty I, amazing. I kind of want to go see the white crow. Me this too. Just, just, just to throw just, that guy some love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I'll go first because Kevin sort of teased this in advance. Um, and I can say to you guys that Avengers Endgame is my new favorite movie of all time. This is our Avengers Endgame review. Uh, and that's a review. massive statement. Huge. Well, I want to say it this way because a lot of people are asking me, when 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 filmmaker when film critics get asked this, and Kevin, I'm sure you've been asked this a bazillion times. Like what everyone's always like, oh, you write about movies for a living or you review movies. What's your favorite movie? What's your favorite movie of all time? And so you come up with a textbook answer. Kevin's like, yours is probably Terminator 2, right? You probably yeah. tell people T2. Terminator 2. Yeah. I tell people Die Hard. I've I've told people Die Hard pretty much my entire life. Um that movie has had a 30-year run at the top of the leaderboard. So when I tell you that I'm replacing it. That from deal. now on, when I'm asked this, that I'm saying it's Avengers Endgame, it doesn't mean I'm saying that Avengers Endgame is a better movie than Die Hard or that, yeah. like, like I don't even really, and Kevin and I had this conversation this whole week about comparing movies and that it's, it's not fair to compare movies. I don't really think that Die Hard in 1988 was trying to do what Avengers Endgame no. is doing in 2019. So to me, they're not, they're both, I, I love them both so very much, but thy new answer for my favorite movie of all time is Avengers Endgame. Because and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, like, like you sure. don't need to defend that. Like, like there is, and, and I'm sure you'll get into why, but there's something sure. to be said about 21 films leading to this film and having yeah. this film work as well as it does. It's almost as if this movie is partly your favorite movie of all time because of what you had already seen in these 21 films as well. So For sure. it, there's a lot more weight to what Endgame means to you because you've spent 10 years with this scope. So that I I get it. I mean, I don't I don't judge. But that's a huge part of it is that without even mentioning this movie, um I can talk about how blown away I am by the Marvel Cinematic Universe as an experiment. Yeah. Um and the fact that like we spent so much time after seeing Endgame in a in the text chain, just mentioning things that shouldn't exist, not just in this movie, but in the MCU, like in general, because we all study very closely how movies are made. And one studio should not be able to make 21 interlocked stories that some of them stand apart more than others, obviously, but a lot of them feed into this much bigger picture. I was it, just, should, it should go wrong. And, and it didn't. I was just at dinner with my mother-in-law and, or, and I was talking to her about how big of a deal Avengers Endgame was. And she said, when they first made the first movie in the MCU, did they know that this is where it was going to end up? And I said, pretty much. I mean, Kevin Feige, the entire... I mean, I don't know the scale of what he thought the last movie or whatever movie would be like this particular film. Not it's not the last movie, but whatever the, this movie means. But there is clearly, clearly a through line from from movie one to now. 
Yes. There, I mean, there's no question of that. And the idea that they were able to keep things in line through multiple directors, multiple writers, yeah. different castings of actors in certain roles, and somehow get to this point and then this film works the way it does. Right. It's arguably one of the greatest achievements in the history of cinema. Well, I don't know what would beat it. Like, honestly, what could yeah. potentially beat it? For me, the longest time that the franchise that I celebrated because of the happy accidents that helped it work was the Harry Potter franchise. Yeah. Because that was eight films or is it eight, seven books, eight films? Yeah. And and the two things that I'll point to both in Harry Potter and in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is casting. Like, they cast those kids for the first Harry Potter movie and had no clue they would be as good as they were uh, eight years later. Yeah. Now, at every step of the way... They cast the MCU except for poor Ter- Terrence Howard, <laughs> who had to get replaced. But but getting Downey, you know, getting Chris Evans, getting Hemsworth, getting Scarlett Johansson, uh, replacing Ed Norton with Mark Ruffalo, uh, getting Paul Rudd, bringing in Tom Holland, getting Benedict Cumberbatch. Like these are all they're not happy accidents. They're 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 fantastic behind the scenes moves. And it leads to this movie working. Let's let's focus quickly on this movie. And every actor, by the way, one thing about these movies that's brilliant is that they are all great actors. Like yeah. Downey Jr. is a phenomenal actor. Like a film, a superhero film is sometimes put into a strange box of not being taken too seriously. But with the Russo brothers have done a brilliant job of grounding these movies. Winter Soldier is one of the most grounded films I've ever seen. And it's a superhero movie. Um, yeah. And, you know, in the same vein as Dark Knight, where it just felt like real. And the idea that we watch a film like Avengers Endgame and Infinity War with a gigantic purple character and somehow still feel that this could be real. Like there's nothing in Avengers Endgame that I that, in my opinion, took me out of suspension of disbelief. I was right. always with them and with these characters in the emotional stakes and moments they were going through. Do you think Downey's just playing Downey, though? Or is he... No, no, no. I see. I, again, I, we can't really get into anything specific, but sure. the emotional arc of Iron Man... Um, there's something I told you yesterday over the phone, which I'm not going to repeat now, but the the arcs of some of these characters. You remember what I told you about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that, to me, that particular thing I'm referring to is, in my opinion the reason why he's not playing Downey Jr. I think okay. it's I think it's a much more I think the character is much more layered than people give it credit for. Um Iron Man 1, yes, I got I, that was very Downey. But I think that this character over these years has um gone the route that you and I discussed yesterday on the phone, which okay. when we get into our spoiler discussion next week, I think we're doing it. Um I'll explain more about that. Uh but that yeah, it's it's pretty I I think it's an incredible performance. The other thing I want to emphasize is that and when the Russos said this, I didn't necessarily know what they meant because to, to me, they shot this movie predominantly at one time. Right. You know, they went back and reshot a lot of stuff, but they would they were always standing by the fact that it's that Infinity War and Endgame are two totally different movies. Right. And I was like, how could they be? You're essentially playing with the same pieces. You're essentially concluding um, the story that you started in Finney War, they could not be more correct. Like th- these are completely different movies 100%. that complement each other ultimately when you're going to be able to watch them side by side. But and and Anthony Russo told me this on the phone that we had 
prior to the tickets going on sale. And I, I still didn't believe him. He's telling me this and I didn't believe him. He was like, we treat each movie as if an audience member could potentially be coming to it for the very first time. And so the movie has to work on its own. And someone asked me today, they're like, can I watch this movie if the only other one I've seen is, is Infinity War? And I was like, yeah, of course you can. You might not appreciate it as much yeah. because there's a lot of deep dive stuff in it that's aimed at Marvel fans. But this, you could step into this as your first one. It'd be a mistake, but you could yeah. still follow everything that's happening. in this Oddly movie. enough, that's an interesting thing to think about because it, it's one of those things where, yes, the movie does work on its own. But the impact of these 10 years is yeah. huge, massive. I mean, we're talking about. Trust me, like the like the ten years of twenty two movies, twenty one films that led up to this movie, uh, it you are being rewarded for being a Marvel fan. Um, yeah. uh, emotionally, uh, uh, everything is there. Yes, my mom or dad, if they haven't, they and they've seen these movies. But it, let's say, like you know, someone went and saw and just saw Infinity War. Sure, the movie works. The movie itself is is a story on its own. There is a story in Endgame that does work, but. The scale and scope of what Feige and everybody has kind of made over these last 21 films really is just laid out here for you. It's amazing. Now, you've always said Winter Soldier is your favorite MCU movie. Yeah. Did this, did this replace it? No, it's interesting. Like right now, I'm still... So right now, my top five MCU films out of order are Winter Soldier, Endgame, Infinity War... Uh, uh, Civil, War, Civil War and then Iron Man 1. So okay. I, I am not ready to rank Endgame yet in that. So it's top five, no question. Sure. Um, that's not even the question. It's the question of whether or not I think it's better than Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier was, and I've rewatched it recently, just blew my mind. But also Winter Soldier is a very condensed, very simple, very one-track Storyline, so it's interesting to me to again we're talking about comparing. So earlier in the week we were having an argument on on Twitter or text about comparing Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones and how they're (laughs) you know we were arguing about that. But Winter Soldier it couldn't be more different than Endgame. Um, And yeah, I don't know yet. I'm I'm going for a third time on Tuesday. I will say this: the second viewing of Endgame was as rewarding as the second viewing of a film like Us, where once you kind of know what the scope of Endgame is and what Endgame is about and what what and what is going on in Endgame, the second viewing is so much more relaxing because then you're not you're not you're not nervous anymore. You know what I mean? Like 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 you're the first viewing of Endgame, and I'm sure Sean you agree, it was it's very nerve-wracking. Like you don't know what's gonna happen. And once yes. you kind of have the full scale of it in your mind, and then you sit down and watch Endgame again, Every beat is different. It's because you you there's so much foreshadowing in every single scene the Russos are giving you that you don't know the first time you watch it. Um, and that's where I think the brilliance really kind of lays in. Has it surpassed us as your favorite movie this year? They're both tied at number one right now, actually. Oh my god, you're gonna have yeah. but I mean, seven we're, we're also we're also we're also <laughs> discussing. I've only given two fives this year. Us yeah. and this. I mean, yeah. we're it's almost May. I mean, I've, I usually only give about five a year, maybe right. depending on the year. Um, I don't know what else and uh, will reach a five. I mean, maybe Quentin's movie. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Quentin's movie has a shot. Yeah, yeah. but right now, Endgame and us, they're they're battling for my number one spot. PJ says that uh, he watched me watch this movie with my mouth hanging open. And he said, and I didn't even know I was doing this. 
I just kept repeating to myself, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. This movie and, should not exist. Right. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know how it does. I, I don't understand how it worked. I don't know how they pulled it off, but right. they did. This film is genuinely a masterclass in pacing, editing, tone, character development, arcs, uh, score, action, direction, perform. I mean, everything about this film is at an A+. I mean, we're talking about high-class filmmaking at to its to its extent where three hours feels like an hour, not even an hour. And I... And I'll tell and I guess we'll get to the premiere. I'll tell you guys all about the premiere and later in the discussion. But I had seen the film at the premiere on Monday night, took an 1140 flight home that night, landed at 730 in the morning, didn't sleep at all, went and saw the film again at one o'clock. So in a 24 hour period, I saw the film twice. That's six and a half hours (laughs) of my life. And I didn't fall asleep once in the second viewing. So much so that I didn't, I don't even think I blinked my eyes for like an hour at one point. Because I was like, you're so... You're so in it, man. Like, it's like, what? And the beauty of the second viewing, I'm so excited for you to see it again, is watching people experience the things you've experienced already for the first time. Like, right. I have, this is an event, man. Like, I haven't, I haven't seen people this excited in a movie in a long time. It's so good. All right, so well, good. Let's, let's jump to the premiere because, like, as we both are saying, like, seeing this in a crowd, it... There are people who are critiquing this movie for being too much fan service, and I understand that criticism. But, but again, I also but it's think both. I think it's earned. Like 100%. I think cheap fan service is is lazy, and I think this earns every bit of fan service that it gets. But see, I wouldn't even use the word fan service. Right. I would just use the word like I don't know what I would use for it, but it just rewards you for the yes. ten years you've spent with these characters. And, and yes. I don't think it's fan service. I, th- I think it's more of a arc it's the it's what you have experienced with these characters is giving you a reward an amazing award reward for the time you and spent with these characters and it's not forced it is actually as you've mentioned earned and here's what i'll say because it's it was impossible for us not to live with this movie for for the full year of waiting for it after Infinity War, but also for the the two years of, of knowing or three years, for however long we knew that this movie was coming, we lived with this movie. Right. So there were beats and moments, and I'm not going to spoil anything, that I thought might be in the movie or hoped would be in the movie, right? And not only are they there, so do you call that fan service because it delivered on those? But each of those moments comes with five additional moments that I didn't expect <laughs> that when I saw them, I was like, oh, my God, I needed that in my life. <laughs> yeah, there are, there are scenes there are scenes in this film action wise. I could yeah. think of three at the top of my head right now that are arguably three of the greatest action scenes in the entire MCU. <laughs> and like, you know, you're thinking about like, like yeah. and I'll give you where I'm coming from. Airport scene in Civil War. Yes. One of the greatest action scenes of all time. Uh the uh, end game, I'm sorry, the Infinity War Thor entrance into Wakanda. Yes. Masterpiece. And then the bridge scene in Winter Soldier. Oh. I mean, those are my three favorite action scenes in the MCU. And there are three in this film that are on that level. It, hey, it, if you don't mind you me know saying. what they all have in common? Uh, the, the directed by the Russo brothers. Yeah. <laughs> all, that, of, that, all of I mean, I mean, these guys are <laughs> masterminds. I, I don't okay. understand... <laughs> how this movie works like it is 
It is so mind-blowing in scale and scope. Like, I don't truly understand how they kept it linear. or In, in any way, it works. It right. works beyond works. It, it's awesome. I actually said in the text chain today, they're on my Rushmore. They now officially Ooh. are on my Rushmore because of the movies that they directed. They're two of the well best directors out. working today. I mean, they, uh, they, these guys are are these guys are making. I'm trying to compare them somehow to. Like, I feel like Endgame. You could almost argue that it's like art house level direction and writing. Like, this is you don't get this type of direction in superhero films. Nolan gave it to you clearly in Dark Knight. But you don't get this type of storytelling generally, in my opinion. Right. This is next level. This is it's like, crazy. this is Oscar and, worthy. And we can't yeah. even give you guys details. No. If we could give you details of what they attempt, you're, but, but we want you to enjoy it in the theater. As You all have to go and enjoy it in theater. We will come back with spoilers uh, next week when we can go into much deeper detail. I think we did it, Kevin. I think we danced around how much we love this movie without yeah. revealing a single plot point. Uh, or specific detail about what we love about it. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that, but I want to get to the premiere. Because if anybody follows Kevin on social media, you know that this is the only question that needs to be asked. Did you own that Captain Marvel jacket beforehand? <laughs> oh. Or did you get it the minute you knew you were going to the premiere? So shout out to my wife. So last, when I went to Infinity War, I wore an Avengers, general Avengers suit that had like everybody on it. Cap, Spidey. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was awesome. But yeah. I also felt looking back at those photos that the with the pants, it looked a little pajama-esque, which it does. <laughs> so um, I didn't find out that I was getting invited to the premiere until Friday. So yeah. I get a text on Friday at five o'clock going, we have, there's a ticket that you can come to the premiere. And I'm like, well, I'm, I mean, I, I probably booked my flight 30 seconds later. It wasn't even yeah. a question. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that required a lot of time on my part in the sense of like flying out Easter Sunday. You know, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot to juggle with my work schedule, but my bosses were so cool about it. And I was live Monday morning from LA that I landed back on Tuesday on a red eye. I didn't miss any work which is crazy. That's um, crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so the suit, uh, Lauren and I were on Amazon and I, I was either going to get the Spider-Man suit or the Cap suit. And I was like, the Russos are, Cap's their favorite character. And Cap was, and we knew he was going to be a gigantic part of Endgame. I mean, yes. that, that's not a spoiler. He's in the trailer a lot. Captain America is one of the original Avengers. So yes, you're going to get a lot of Captain America in this film. Um, yes. And so like, I just thought that that was the perfect suit to get. And so I, to make it less pajama-y, I just got actual tuxedo, black tux tuxedo pants with some red chucks and then put the suit on. And then, you know, my goal, I wanted to find Evans, right? I wanted to find Evans and get, and get a photo with him with my suit on. But it, you know, and I eventually did find him. Um, but that was... The premiere was actually super calm. It was a very interesting experience. Like, I've been to premieres before. Infinity War was gigantic. Infinity War right. was three theaters. It was like the Oscars Theater, the El Capitan, and the TCL Chinese Theater. This was just the, the convention center. And I, okay. from what I understand, I think it was only like 2,000 people. I think that was it. And okay. you walked in, and there was this gigantic spinning Avengers A with the world premiere uh, and I met this gentleman named Boss Logic, who's like a genius um, 
Photoshop uh, guy who works on these amazing posters. And Jill yep. um, Hall's talked about him a lot before. So is Ryan Reynolds. He takes. Oh, a lot. we cover his stuff on Cinema Blood. He's all the time. amazing. So uh, he actually got he got to do an official poster for Marvel for this movie. Yeah, that's um, cool. And so I ran into him. I didn't know what he looked like. I actually had to be introduced to him uh, because you know he's his his pro his picture of himself isn't part of his profile picture it's like some animated thing um so he was cool talked to him for a little bit uh and then you got to go on this platform and take a photo in front of the big a and then there was like a circular red uh purple carpet uh, i believe it was purple yeah and the actors would enter from behind the carpet and then walk do their interviews and then they would exit to the left of where i was so anybody who was standing in this next section that i walked over to would theoretically see every actor who walked by. It wasn't like mm-hmm. closed off. I mean, if you were in the building, you were in the building. You were part of the event. Uh, there was no like, the only thing you couldn't do is was go actually onto the carpet itself because that was required a different level of uh, credential. All right, so back in that area, I ran into lot Rob Liefeld and started chatting with him for a little bit about you know, just being there. I met his son. Uh, and then I met this guy who I didn't, I didn't, you know, Destin, the guy who directed uh, Short Term 12. I think he's working oh, on, yeah. a, I think he's working on a current Marvel film. Has that been announced? Okay. All right. Then that, we discussed that for a little bit. Um, and then I ran into Michael Giacchino. It was like crazy. Cause like if Michael Giacchino comes up and I'm talking to him about his Star Trek theme, I mean, everybody, like, it's weird being in a situation like that because it's people that you admire so much just casually walking by. Um, right. Like Evans walks by, Downey Jr. walks by, Hemsworth walks by, Kevin Smith walks by. Uh, I mean, Dwight Howard walks by. I mean, it, was, it was a very random group of people that are just gigantically famous. Miley Cyrus walked right by me. I got a photo with her and Liam Hemsworth. It was just like a crazy experience. But um, being in that area... You know, you obviously want to, I wanted to run into Evans and um, thankfully he saw my suit and he was super excited about it. We took a quick little shot. Um, and then Kevin Smith and I chatted for a little while and him and I went up the escalator together to go into the theater. And there was this like crazy moment where, so Kevin Smith is somebody that I, I'm obsessed with growing up like uh, James Holland, Bob Strike Back, Mallrats, Clerks, Dogma, Chasing Amy. He Mallrats was one of my is one of my favorite movies of all time. And so like just being able to even be in a situation where him and I are talking uh, is surreal to me. Um, and I mean, it's funny because his daughter was there, Harley Quinn Smith. And at one point, Kevin Smith and I were talking for so long that she had to come over and say, Dad, we got to go into the movie. Uh, because, <laughs> you know, at one point, this, you know, this movie starts supposed to start at six o'clock and it's like 620 now. But it but Chris Evans and, and Robert Downey Jr. are just now entering the carpet for photos. So they're not going to start the movie without them. Um, right. So we know we had a little more time. So I chatted with Kevin Smith for a while. And then eventually security was like saying, hey, you guys need to get upstairs and go into the theater. And, you know, you have, you have assigned seats. Now, the cool thing about this premiere was it's only one theater. They built like a gigantic theater in the convention center. And everybody who was watching the movie, including the cast, was sitting in that theater with you while you watched it, um, mm-hmm. which was surreal. And so Kevin Smith and I and his daughter and we take the escalator up and we get to the top of the escalator to walk into the entrance of the theater. And right 10 feet in front of us is Downey Jr. and Evans hugging. It was like this like crazy... And I'm like sitting here with one of my heroes, Kevin Smith, as a director. And then we both just like we both just start geeking out that Robert Downey Jr. is sitting right in front of us. Um, it was it was also really cool talking to Kevin Smith about 
the Stan Lee cameo in um, Captain Marvel and that full circle scope of him having the Mallrats script. Um, and obviously, Mallrats, Mallrats is still my favorite cameo that Stan Lee ever did. That scene with Jason Lee, obviously, on top of the mall bridge area. Um, and so it was just Kevin, surreal. I want to bring up I want to bring up a Kevin Smith bit. And it, it's a safe bit. Don't worry. Um, I, he knows you for this reason. Kevin Smith knows you because over the years, every time you've interviewed Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, <laughs> you bring up the um, Goodwill Hunting 2 yeah. joke. The greatest them. bit ever. Yeah. But what you might not have known, I don't think you knew this until he told you this. People keep showing him you doing that bit. <laughs> Yeah, and well, he admires how much you love that bit and keep doing it to them. Well, I tweeted that to him over and over. I, every time I'd interview Matt Damon, no matter how serious the film was, like we, the first time I ever did it was was Contagion, which was like a, a horrifically serious film. And I'm like, dude, Goodwill Hunting too. I don't know what we're gonna do, Will. What are we gonna do? Like, we're like, we're like, we're like the applesauce, and like he's like making fun of Ben Affleck's like frosted hair. I remember like it was like just like so surreal. What do you, I think he called it frosted tips. Right, because yeah, yeah. like, like, it wasn't yeah. his hair like blondish or something like that. Like it was, it was like oh, it was du- terrible. Yeah, was yeah, terrible. but he, he was making fun of it. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, over the years, so that was so yeah, it was cool to like run into him in that setting. And and you know, what's funny about that is twenty minutes prior to that, Matt Damon walked by and I said hi to him. And then the Kevin, and then so Kevin's. Funny. I mean, the, the, I, I'm name dropping, but this is how surreal this was. So you know, think about it, from my perspective as somebody who grew up watching Kevin Smith's movies, just to be able to sit there and talk to him, uh, and yeah. then walk up an escalator together to walk into a premiere for one of the most anticipated movies. Of of all time, if not the most anticipated movie of all time. Um, so then, uh, so we're upstairs. So at, at that point, I had, you know, talked to Rob Liefeld. I saw Chris Evans. I saw Matt Damon. I saw Bradley Cooper. I saw um, uh, everybody. I, I said hi to Denai Guerrero. Well, Denai Guerrero, by the way, when she walked by, the first thing I said to her was, I love that moment in Infinity War when you give Ruffalo that stare down as he comes by. And, and remember, like, when Hulk, uh, Iron Hulk, like, falls over yeah. and she does. Does that like, yeah, it's really funny. Um, I saw her, Michael Giacchino. I talked to him for a little bit. So we get upstairs. At this point, it's it's premiere time. Like we we have, we have to get in the theater. So I go to the area where you have to. They give you like a little bag for your cell phone. You drop your cell phone into this bag and lock it up, and you can hold your phone with you. But it's in a it's in a locked bag, very similar to how they like a like a like a clothing store when they like lock your oh, clothes. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. And it's, they did the same thing for Infinity War. So as I'm sitting there, Brolin walks by, and like Brolin. I've been lucky enough to get to know him uh, through interviews over the years, like comes up and gives me like two big gigantic hugs. Um, Thanos. Thanos. Actually yeah, so, Thanos. Yeah. yeah. At the end game premiere. Yeah. And then uh, hugged by Thanos. Thanos. So then, so then you walk in the theater and you have your, you have a badge and it tells you where your seat was. I was section like four thirteen row TT or whatever it was. And because it's such a small premiere and there's only one theater, you're looking for your seats while the actors are looking for their seats. So then I run yeah. into Brolin again <laughs> and he gives me another hug. And like we're trying to find our seats and he and he's going down where the cast is. I'm going up like a little bit further up to the top and the right. And you know, I see Chris Pratt walking around and like it was it was it was it was surreal. It gave me like the, yeah. the word and then to be in that theater and there was no cast introduction, just Bob Iger. Bob Iger came out. Introduced the movie and then said, essentially, roll it. And, it, and, and like Palpatine style, just rolled it. And it was just like, it was just, just rolled. And then the movie and then the right. theater went dark. And thankfully, 
people respected and didn't have to clap every five seconds that uh, an actor came on screen. At first, like when you see the Marvel logo, everyone's clapping and cheering. But for the th- sure. next three hours, everyone was kind of just glued to the screen. And okay, but I got it. But there are beats. Okay, so we can't mention obviously what they were. We will not mention. But how yeah. how did some of the scenes? The, the big scenes oh, play huge. I mean, it, it, it was, but oddly enough, I saw it the next day at a press screening and it played just as big, like yeah. being in a press screening with people who hadn't seen it yet felt just as exciting as it was to be at the premiere. In fact, I like the movie more the second time because again, like I told you earlier, once you kind of know what's going to happen, then you can really examine the filmmaking. Um, but, and then the movie ends and they didn't, uh, and then the cast takes the stage and they put the six original Avengers in front, Evans, Downey, Scarlet, uh, and they all give a speech. Evans says he cried six times in the movie. Hemsworth said he cried even more. Um, and it was just a, it was just crazy to be in that room. And then Kevin Feige gave a speech and uh, Joe Russo talked a little bit. And yeah, it was just, it was, a and like this premiere was so I don't know. It just felt intimate for some reason. Like this one in particular right. felt very intimate. It was, uh, I'm very lucky to have been in that room. Uh, and, and I remember leaving there and texting with someone as I left the theater on my plane ride home. Cause I went right to the plane at 1140 and the movie ended at like 945 and I barely made it, but I was just like, we were just in that room with that cast watching yeah. this film and none of them had seen it. I mean, Joe Russo tweeted out, yesterday a picture of him himself and his two daughters and i think his tweet was that these are the only two castmates who had seen endgame before the premiere right so and i can tell you crazy from being on on the set of it the scene that we watched them film was the avengers arriving in wakanda for the first time when they had an injured uh vision and they were leaving the the fight with wanda and vision and the first bit of thanos's dark order this is infinity when, war for Infinity War. And when right. you're on the set, it's in Atlanta and it's all green screen. So I was thinking about this because I'm thinking about what you're saying of these guys seeing it for the first time. If if I think about that scene in the movie where they basically paint digitally all of Wakanda around them, the actors don't see that. They're not seeing it at all. Like they can envision it kind of, but until they see the finished work, they don't even understand the scope of what they shot for the most part, yeah. right? And that's so what, that, they're that's, seeing yeah. it for the first time. It's blowing them away. And that's what's surreal for me about experiencing that film in that setting because, like you said, like the I, I don't even think a lot of the actors knew how certain aspects of this movie ended because, sure. you know, not you think about uh, the scope of Endgame. Endgame is juggling dozens and dozens of characters. And yeah. I... I just don't really truly understand how this film even works. It's like a magic trick. <laughs> like it, it truly is like, I don't know how they pulled it off, but they did. It's unreal. What? Well, um, Gabe had a really funny line in the chat. He says currently right now in wine country, uh, Jake Hamilton is shouting at a, a group of uh, socialites sipping their wine, getting ready to review the new Netflix comedy. <laughs> uh, he's screaming. I quit. Uh, knowing that we are gushing about Endgame because Jake, I, I'm not going to say Jake didn't like it because um, I think he did. He just doesn't love Endgame. And we made sure that he had a chance to defend himself and at least voice his opinion on Endgame for this episode that he was going to miss. So we're going to throw it right now to Jake's take on Avengers Endgame. Uh, no spoilers. And is he also giving his Scarlett Johansson pick in this, Gabe? All right, so we'll go right into the blend game for this week, too, which is ScarJo blend. Uh, Gabe, uh, Gabe's going to roll 
Jake's reaction to Endgame and then his Scarlett Johansson pick. And then Kevin and I will come back with ours. Hey, guys. Sorry I cannot be there. I am here in Napa Valley uh, getting ready to interview the cast of Wine Country, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey and Maya Rudolph. Um, so I am obviously not on a real blend this week, but I did want to weigh in on my thoughts on Avengers Endgame, specifically because I think I am going against the grain a little bit. Um, it breaks my heart. It, it genuinely destroys me to say that I am disappointed a little bit by Avengers Endgame. Did not dislike it by any stretch of the imagination, um, but there are a lot of aspects of the film that genuinely kept me from loving it. I guess if I were to give it any kind of a review, I would say that it was okay. I thought it was fine. Um, I have a lot of issues with it. A lot of things that are hard to criticize without getting into any kind of spoiler territory. Um, But if I were going to give more of a broad, vague uh, overview criticism of the movie of of what I disliked about it, I'd say that a lot of the aspects of the tone uh, really bothered me. Um, I thought the pacing was off. Everything that I loved about Infinity War, and you guys know how much I love Infinity War. I think it's one of the genuinely greatest superhero films of all time. I thought was lost here within game. And I kind of thought that it sort of just limped its way to a finale. And um, I mean, th- don't get me wrong. There are a lot of aspects of this film that I, I, I was wowed by that I thought were, were genuinely fantastic. But for every moment that I thought was fantastic, uh, I was let down by something else. And uh, I look forward to seeing it again. I know how much you guys liked it. And, and you have no idea how much it breaks my heart to give it anything less than a stellar review because of how much I've been looking forward to this film. And, and, but, it, but it really makes me happy to know how much you guys enjoyed it. Um, I look forward to debating it with you guys. I mean, if, if anything, I was telling you guys on the, on the text thread that usually when I disagree with you guys on, uh, about a film, I look forward to um, going on the show and, and really going head-to-head and going toe-to-toe with you guys. And I, I, this, broke my host, this broke my heart so much. I, 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 I mean, honestly, I don't even want to debate it with you guys because it, it bothers me so much that I disliked it. Generally, I'm mad at myself for how much I disliked it, but, but I have to be honest with myself and that I was disappointed. Um, we'll get into spoilers soon later, I know, um, but overall, I found it to be a little bit of a disappointment only because I found it to be just okay. On that note, I love you guys. I miss you guys. I'm sorry I could not be there this week. I'm genuinely sorry. Um, I know you guys are going to have a great show without me. And uh, I will talk to you soon. I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye bye. All right. So obviously, Sean and I, Sean and I have some disagreements with uh, Jake's point of view on Avengers Endgame, but we respect his opinion. And like that was the thing. Like we were talking to Jake in the in the, in the text chain about this. And, like you know, it's a movie you want to love, right? And like, and I think he, I think I, I'm excited for him to see it one more time. That's I, I want him to see it again to see what he thinks about it the second time around because you and I are obviously floored by this film. I gave it a five out of five. I'm assuming you gave it a five out of five as well, obviously, I based did, on five out of five. your reaction. Um, but listen, uh, we, I, I want anybody listening to this show right now, like we've done, a, we've, I think we've done a good job here of not giving anything away. We've, te- we've basically tiptoed around every aspect of this movie. Um, and I just want people to see it and I can't wait to actually break it down. Like, like, like yes. we're going to, we're going to go full force with it um, next week, I think. So next week. Uh, yeah, and we, we, we may, we, we may have some special guests, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about later on, but, um, yes. but yeah, I almost so. don't even want to speak it. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not teasing anything until it happens. No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So anyway, Scarlett Johansson blend, uh, I get to go first and I'm going to tell you that, okay. So for this reason, uh, I don't associate her. So we did 
um, Downey Jr. last week, and we all picked a version of Tony Stark, a different Tony Stark movie, but he's so associated with Tony Stark. I don't associate her with Black Widow in that way. I see her as someone who has been able to exist outside of Black Widow, and I, I like a lot of her movies that aren't necessarily Marvel movies. So, why, so when I sit here in the episode and tell you that uh, Endgame is my favorite movie of all time, and she's in Endgame, by logic, I should have to put her into Endgame, but I did not want to pick a Marvel movie um, because I think she has a, a much broader range and she's been in some amazing films before she was even part of Marvel. And so I went with uh, Matchpoint, which to me is one of my favorite modern Woody Allen films and is uh, the one of the greatest homages to Hitchcock. Uh, it's the closest someone's come to make a Hitchcock film that isn't named Alfred Hitchcock. And I think she's so good in it. Uh, she gives this amazing performance as, um, again, she's sort of playing off of her innate sultriness. Um, she gets involved in a in an affair. It turns murderous. Uh, there's a great plot twist in the middle of it that I don't want to discuss um, for people who haven't seen it yet. If you haven't seen Matchpoint because either you've written off Woody Allen, you don't want to see his films anymore, or you just missed it when it came around because Woody Allen for a long time was at a point where he was churning out a movie one a year. And they were hit and miss. Like you can get an A uh, or you can get like a D plus. And she even made another great one with him called Vicky Cristina Barcelona. That's a tremendous film and she's amazing in it. Um, but then like the two of them together made a movie called Scoop, which is really bad. So it's like, even just putting the two of them together wasn't guaranteed. But Match Point was so good and she's so good in it. So when I look back truly over the films that uh, are my favorite of hers, I, I singled that one out. Yeah, that's a great movie. Match Point is was a, a shockingly great movie. It was very different from anything Woody Allen had done prior to that. And I think that was that Jonathan Reese Myers, right? Yeah, yeah, he's yep. great in that. I, um, I didn't think Woody Allen had it in him. I just didn't think I didn't see that kind of movie coming from him. And I thought he did a great job with it. Yeah, I went with Lost in Translation because I like one of the most iconic scenes in movie history, in my opinion, is the is the whisper to Bill Murray, and I and I still. Yeah. To this day, much like the briefcase in Pulp Fiction or things like that, I want to know, but I don't want to know uh, what was said. I remember interviewing Bill Murray on a red carpet one time, and it was right before the Cubs won the World Series. And I said, if the Cubs win, will you please reveal what Scarlett Johansson says to you at the end of Lost in Translation? <laughs> and he goes, nobody cares about that. I'm like, yes, we do. Um, but, um, no, I, th I, I just love that movie. I love the innocence of that film. I love the... Uh, the story and the scope of those characters. I love her chemistry with Bill Murray. Um, it's 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 interesting. That's the first thing I think about when I think about Scarlett Johansson is that film. Like that film, I think I, I really fell in love with her as an actor, actress in that film. And in and, and the sense of, I just think she has an amazing range. I mean, she's made some great movies. Under the, uh, Was it Under the Skin? Is a really uh, pretty uh, yeah. That's film. another one I thought about. Yep, great, really movie, challenging great performance. Yeah, and she's a really great actor. I, I really and I think that's also why these Avengers movies work so well is because they got people who really can emote and really do good jobs of. I mean, especially with Endgame uh, and Infinity War, the the stakes of these stories um, are requiring these actors to go to depths emotionally that are very interesting. And Scarlett Johansson has the ability to do that because she's a really good actor. Um, so Lost in Translation, to me, uh, I love Sofia Coppola. 
I love that she shoots on 35 mil still. Um, and to this day, I, my dream, one of my dream places to go is to go to Tokyo and then go to that hotel uh, that that movie is at. When, when Bill Murray, because Bill Murray's like, you know, doing that commercial shoot there, right? Like in that movie. Yeah. I, yeah. Yep. It's, such a, it's such a great movie. It really is. Do you know I'm supposed to be in Tokyo as we speak right now? Yeah. I yeah, know. but yeah, but Avengers. <laughs> it's Avengers. It's Endgame Week. I know. It's Endgame Week. We have a whole uh, bevy of travel stories that we uh, should tell if we were able to go on every trip we were invited to. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. ones that we have to pass, uh, they hurt the most. Yeah. They probably hurt more than the ones that we get to go on, uh, you know, we, the way we celebrate them. I dwell on the ones that, that we have to say no to. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, so fu- it's funny to me because like w- even one of these trips in an entire lifetime is a gift. Um, which <laughs> yeah. is, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like even just doing one, it, it, like me going to that Avengers Endgame premiere, like if that was the only thing I ever got to do, like, I mean, like, like, that's still insane, right? Like, but like we are so lucky. But yeah, it, I think what Sean's saying is that when you're given the opportunity to do something cool, like it's right there in front yeah. of you, that it's so hard to like turn it down. <laughs> it really if is. You had told, if you had gone back and told teenage Kevin that at the night you saw the Avengers Endgame premiere in Los Angeles, that you were going to get to have a sit down conversation with Kevin Smith. And it'd be like, like that's not even the coolest thing that happened to you. That I know. Night. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's mind crazy. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. It really is. It really is. All right. Audience, audience picks for uh, hashtag ScarJo blend. Kimberly Sue and Robert Shivery both agree with Kevin. They say lost in translation. Uh, Gilbert Taylor says that he can't pick just one. So he went with match point. And here's one that you probably forgot that she's in, BDK, The Prestige. Oh, yeah. She, yeah, yeah. Right. She's, she's got a part in that. Netflix Nate says Captain America, The Winter Soldier. And again, if you're picking the, the Marvel movies, it's hard not to. Like, she's in some incredible scene. You mentioned the fact that she's part of the bridge fight in Winter Soldier, oh, which is man. one and, of the and, best fights. And she's amazing in that scene, too. That that scene is so brutal and so <laughs> grounded. Literally, it's so well done. Yep, it's great. All right, so for next week, uh, we are going to continue the Marvel love. Uh, we're switching gears over to one that's probably harder than you would assume, because when I saw it, uh, I realized there's a lot of great movies to choose from. We're doing hashtag Ruffalo Blend. So we're going to talk about the films of Mark Ruffalo. Wow. And that is a, he's been in some incredible films. So let yeah. us know your pick via email. Uh, you can go to RealBlend at CinemaBlend.com, which is, uh, you can send us an email message. You can go to our Twitter feed at RealBlend. Uh, you can hit us up on any type of social media. Use hashtag RuffaloBlend and share your picks. Uh, next week, we're going to stay in the end game, folks, because you're all going to get to see it this weekend. I pray that most of the people listening to the podcast this week uh, got tickets. It's amazing to me that AMC Theaters is turning several locations into 24-hour theaters. Yeah. Um, be kind to the employees there. Uh, you're all excited. Uh, they are going to be working long hours to keep everything organized. Uh, l- listen, l- we've waited a very long time for this movie. It's here. Celebrate it. Uh, enjoy it. But, you know, like one of my friends got tickets to an 1145 screening on Thursday and he's like, this thing's not going to get out till three o'clock in the morning. Like, is it worth it? And I'm like, dude, it is. It is. But I do understand that, like, it's not the best scenario to see a movie like this. Um, So just but but also at the same time, if if we didn't make it clear in this episode, you got to try to get there opening weekend because people are going to want to talk about this and you can only avoid spoilers on a movie like this for so long. 
Like yeah. sooner or later, something's going to get out and you're going to hear something you didn't want to hear. You want to see it in the movie. So, Hey, Sean, I was just curious if you, um, uh, <laughs> did you did, uh, I don't know if Gabe got this. Did you guys get Thanos's pick for um, ScarJo Blend? We, we made it an hour and 10 minutes into yeah. the show. <laughs> I just want to mention uh, just the two of us. I'm just surprised that Gabe didn't uh, uh, tell you about the text Wait. that Thanos sent oh, about Scarlett Johansson's, his Thanos favorite Scarlett Johansson movie. Thanos' favorite Scarlett Johansson. It's got to be something with snap. What is it? Iron Thanos 2. <laughs> what? Iron Man 2. Iron Fan. Os 2. No. Come on. It's no. perfect. Come yes. on, do better. Uh, <laughs> Dude, I'm on no sleep, man. That, that's the best you're getting from me this week in regards to puns. That's all I have. <laughs> all right. So this has been uh, this has been episode number 66. Uh, Jakey, we miss you. Come on back. Uh, we will be back next week with a spoiler-filled discussion of Avengers Endgame. And as always, until then... Dun- Dunkirk! Dunkirk.